family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. On a fine autumnal Sunday morning, welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host, looking forward to two hours of improvisational conversation. We're also going to learn about CBD oils and some of their incredible health benefits. And talking about benefits, we'll talk, have our seasonal talk with our favorite wine and spirit expert, Tim Sweeney. The key topic we'll be discussing, CRISPR. Sounds like a breakfast cereal. Actually, it will likely be a major influence on the future of the 21st century. Two women chemists were awarded one of this year's Nobel Prizes for the discovery, which now makes it possible to edit human genes. What are the health benefits? What are the ethical, philosophical, psychological issues? We'll be discussing that with not one, but our two illustrious co-hosts. She is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate, Victoria Sullivan. He is on-air music weekend warrior here at Radio Woodstock, Ron Van Warmer. We will be talking uh, to Matthew Tellerico and Kathleen. They are the owner and manager of your CBD store in Kingston. We get to learn about CBD oil. And uh, we'll have some street philosophy from our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin, jazz from Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, and plenty of room for surprises because they find us. If that sounds like a lot, it is. So fasten your seatbelt. Join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal, and let's get rolling. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Doug. If your seat was any higher, <laughs> you'd have trouble breathing. This time it's a little too high. I'm always, you know, it's like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, oh, this chair's too big. Oh, this chair's too small. <laughs> I have to have it just right, and I am a little high today. Out there? I mean, well. <laughs> We, we can we can work. What can on I that. say? My my feet are far away from the floor. <laughs> I don't think I can get down. Uh, I hope you don't hurt yourself. Other than that, I'm good. Ron, good morning. Good morning, Doug. All How's right. your chair? Is it right height? My chair is <laughs> feeling fine. His chair is always right. <laughs> what is what is special about this following sentence? Red rum, sir, is murder. Is it a palindrome? It is a palindrome. <laughs> See, that's when you're a retired English professor, you get those things. And what is a palindrome, professori? Same thing in either direction on a word. Um, or phrase. Or phrase, yes. Uh, or it turns out, a genome. Oh. Yes, well, they're pretty tricky, those genomes. <laughs> uh, I was looking up palindromes. Here's a good Eva, can I see bees in a cave? That's pretty good. You're going to lower her chair? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I hope it doesn't lower the level of the conversation. By the way, we've been mentioning this. Um, Radio Woodstock is in the midst of a major move. Uh, the offices are already at a beautiful church on Route 28, about five miles from here. 
in Hurley, just outside of Woodstock. And our studios will be there within a month or two. Yeah. It's uh, renovations coming along beautifully, so we're going to up the spiritual level of the program to befit the surroundings we will be in. But meanwhile, most of what was here is gone, <laughs> and we're left with a tin can and string to try yeah. to get this radio show done. But we will, we will get through it. And will we have fancy food at the next place? No. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I remember the days when you'd walk in with a big box of donuts. Oh, those days are over. I know. Now you get a few alfalfa sprouts <laughs> and, some, and hopefully some fresh air. Now, CRISPR sounds like a breakfast cereal. It's yes, an acronym. It does. Um, two women chemists were awarded one of this year's Nobel Prizes for an amazing discovery. In chemistry. In chemistry. And... You know, there are many levels to the story, including the fact that when we baby boomers were growing up, you'd be hard-pressed to find a woman scientist. Right. Out of 184 in chemistry, five have gone to women since 1911. In the Nobel Prize, right. right. Um, although, Madame Curie. She was the first one. First one, and I still believe the only man or woman to receive Two Nobel Prizes in two different levels of physics, uh, uh, two levels of science. Mm. Amazing woman. Anyway, um, uh, these these two women have made this incredible discovery, um, and there was an article in the Times on it, written by one of the great, I think, the greatest biographer on the planet right now, Walter Isaacson. He wrote a brilliant book on Einstein. I even enjoyed the one on Steve Jobs. I thought that was a great book. And I, didn't find, I don't find Steve Jobs all that interesting. Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> even in death. So I, all I, you got to do is I hear Bill Burr's take on Steve Jobs. I know Steve he wasn't Jobs, a nice person. And you'll know the next it, But it doesn't matter if he wasn't a nice person I'm on not, some level. It has nothing to do with a nice person. <laughs> Albert Einstein wasn't the nicest guy in the world either. Um, but at any rate, Isaacson's biography was brilliant. Yes. And um, he did a story on these two women, Jennifer... Dudna, um, American, who worked with a French chemist um, and uh, developed this CRISPR technology, which allows us now to edit the human gene. They're already doing it. Like anything else right now, the cost would be immense mm. uh, if somebody wanted their genes edited. but uh, And they haven't approved it yet. And in fact, you might have remembered the story in 2018 of the Chinese scientist. Mm. Yes, I do who, remember without that. Without telling anybody, <laughs> edited the genomes, meaning to do well. He, mean, he was trying to be a good Samaritan. It was twins. Uh, and before they were born, he was able to... Remove was, the receptor. Remove the receptor for AIDS. AIDS. Yes. HIV. Yeah. And... For his work, for not discussing it with the Chinese government or any other scientist, uh, he's now got three years in jail and was fined $430,000. Wow. Well, you know, he got it actually from this woman, Jennifer Dunda, mm -hmm. because he'd sat in on one of her lectures. And being a pragmatic Chinese person, he thought, well, I could do that. <laughs> Let me go and back to China and do it. <laughs> and interestingly, um, like open source software on the Internet, there's an analogy while this is worth you know billions, maybe trillions of dollars, this technique, um, they're already providing it to other scientists. So scientists can go up and get the technology and start working on it themselves. And 
one of the concerns is, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about it. Obviously, we're all, we, I think we'd all be in favor of editing a genome so that somebody who would have been born with Down syndrome or some terrible disease can be, if, they, if, their brain, if their genes can be modified to prevent that from happening, I think we'd be, be all for it. Seems like a good plan. One of the first issue that comes up is the question of price. When this first mm. comes out, it's going to be enormously expensive and therefore only available to the very wealthy and very connected. But think about computers. Um, if you wanted the one of the fastest, most effective computers in 1980, it would have cost about this about the same as a jet plane. Hmm. Uh, ten years later, it would have cost you mm, probably the price of a Rolls Royce. And by 2010, a lot of video games had very powerful computer parts in yeah. them. So that's the nature of, you know, the the, the, what, the law of technology that eventually the, the price will come down. So, you, but the ethical, the psychological, the philosophical questions that this is going to raise are enormous because if there's one thing we know about evolution and us as one of the prime drivers of evolution we humans regardless of the consequences we move forward with technology exactly that's what's scary i don't know that it's well i it's think it's scary, very but scary. i also think it, it, <laughs> that's how we ended up with nuclear bombs right we just kept going hey the atomic bomb worked let's make it a hundred times stronger Okay, but yes, there are all sorts of consequences that we haven't proven to be particularly good with. But if one looks at the trajectory of evolution, particularly human evolution, overall, we have benefited enormously from advanced technologies. We also suffer some of their consequences. Welcome to the yin yang of, of yeah, of, and of the and look at the um, <clears throat> climate. Yep. Um, so uh, let's get into Walter Isaacson's article on these two women chemists who are getting the Nobel Prize for discovering CRISPR. When Jennifer Doudna, that's D-O-U-D-N-A, was in sixth grade. DNA she, is the end of her name? Yes. That's very interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because <laughs> this is really all DNA stuff. Okay. Well, that's her name. <laughs> when she was in sixth grade, she came home one day to find that her dad... Um, had left a paperback titled The Double Helix on her bed. <laughs> we know this is a smart family. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some light reading, darling. You know, at, at sixth grade, I could barely get through Dr. Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she put it aside thinking it was one of those detective tales she loved. When she read it on a rainy Saturday, she discovered she was right in a way. As she sped through the pages, she became enthralled by the intense drama filled with colorful characters about ambition and competition in the pursuit of nature's wonders. Boy, Isaacson writes well, doesn't he? Hmm. Even though her high school counselor told her girls didn't become scientists, welcome to the baby boomer world mm -hmm. of the 50s and 60s, she decided she would. <clears throat> she would help to make what the book's author, James Watson, later told her was the most important biological advance since he and Francis Crick discovered the structure of DNA. She worked with a brilliant Parisian biologist named Emmanuel Charpentier to turn a curiosity of nature into an invention that will transform the human race. An easy-to-use tool that can edit DNA, known as CRISPR, 
C-R-I-S-P-R. We'll get to the acronym in a second. It ushered in a brave new world of medical miracles and moral questions. Um, they were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry a few weeks ago. CRISPR will be a revolution that will someday allow us to cure diseases, fend off virus pandemics. That might sound rather pertinent right mm -hmm. now. And if we decide it's wise to design babies with the genetic features we want for them. Uh-oh. Mm. Yeah. Check, please. CRISPR is especially relevant in the year of the coronavirus. The gene editing tool that Dr. Dudna and Dr. Charpentier developed is based on a virus-fighting trick used by bacteria. I'll just stop here and talk about the medium <laughs> as the message. We are not going to understand CRISPR. We're not PhDs in chemists. But the underlying principle here and strategy philosophically is amazing, which is that what they discovered is not an artifact that humans created. What these women discovered was something that naturally occurs in nature. Mm -hmm. It's part of nature's intelligence that bacteria use to defend against viruses. Right. Now, normally we think of bacteria as what we want to fight against. But in fact, there are, without bacteria, we'd be dead. Mm. Uh, there are good bacteria and bad bacteria. and a From our point of view. Healthy, well, from our body's point of view. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's not moral. No, it's physiological. Right. And calling it a war is, of course, a big problem because it's part of nature's balance. It's the way nature works. There are good bacteria and bad bacteria. A healthy immune system can maintain a relatively good balance. Mm -hmm. And when it can't, humans discovered what might be the most important invention of the past 200 years, antibiotics. Right. It was huge. Huge. So we have good bacteria, bad bacteria, good genes and bad genes. But the good bacteria, as well as the bad bacteria, can get destroyed by a virus. We know, if we didn't know before, we know now how powerful and difficult viruses are to control. Why? They replicate very quickly, and they're like chameleons. They change their structure. So by the time a vaccine comes out, we have to hope that the developers of the vaccine guess correctly as to where the virus was going to mutate by the time the, mm. the by the time uh, it that it came out. The thing <laughs> that interests me about the coronavirus is that it has a little hook on it. Mm -hmm. I, I, that, I just, that's just such a fascinating well, idea there's always a hook me. somewhere. It has <laughs> this tiny, tiny little hook, I mean, because it's tiny, yeah. and it hooks in there. And also that when you're sick with it, it sheds. And that's interesting to me, that verb, shedding. Is someone still shedding? And they can test that. I mean, it might be five days into the illness, you're actually getting better and you're ceasing to shed. But it might be 10 or 15 days in. So it's really important to know when someone quits shedding the virus. Well, we, but we're not there yet. And um, as long as you brought up that, my biggest complaint with the whole way this pandemic's been covered by media and autocratically imposed by politicians is the way we do most things, which it's a war and we're going to fight a war. And as we all know, from the casual, physical casualties of war to the PSTD, the post-traumatic stress syndrome of war, not a good analogy. 
However, what they don't tell us much in the media is how to keep our immune system strong, which is the best defense against a virus. And part of what they did is figuring that out. They figured out how bacteria fight off viruses. Right. And they were able to use that as the insight into how to create a gene editing tool. Yes. So as brilliant as these two women were, their brilliance was in discovering what nature already had developed, which was a strategy. Well, what's interesting is I, I did ask, I, I called up the top scientist I knew in the country <laughs> to discuss this slightly. And... Um, I said, but it's so strange to me that chemists would have discovered this. And he goes, well, they're biochemists. And, and I, I think that that's an important thing for people to realize, that, that a lot of these fields have been crossing each other. That's and, the good news. And, you know, if the chemists were on one side and the biologists were on another, this discovery might not have been made. But this is their biochemists. If we're going to figure out the 21st century... Um, we are going to need the collaboration, and we're seeing it, among biologists, chemists, physicists, neurologists, philosophers. And it speaks to your economists, idea of cooperation. And collaboration. <laughs> Without it, we're, d we're done. Right. Um, the Internet makes it more possible than ever. The question is whether our mammalian, the, our mammalian part of our brains are willing to do that because the mammalian part of our brains are very territorial, not collaborative. Um, at any rate, going back to these two women, CRISPR is especially relevant in the year of the coronavirus. The gene editing tool is based on a virus fighting trick used by bacteria, which have been battling viruses for billions of years. We've been around for about 200,000. We're still the newbies. <laughs> in their DNA, bacteria develop clustered repeated sequences known as CRISPRs that can remember and then destroy viruses that attack them. In other words, it's an immune system that can adapt itself to fight each new wave of viruses, just what we humans need in an era that has been plagued. What is the coronavirus called? What is it? It's a novel virus. Yes. New. Novelty is the way evolution works. Um, so this crisp <clears throat> crispering could eliminate the need for vaccines for anything. Correct. Because it would... You, you Except that you might keep getting new things, so you would have to keep working with it. But the, the things that are obviously DNA-connected, not every disease we get, I think, we get because we have receptors in our body for it. But we know that there are receptors for a lot of things that sometimes people don't get. So this could right. really go in and clean up the deviant receptors once we knew which they were. You know, we, we you'd look on that DNA, you know, double helix thing, and you'd find, oh, number 92C is the one that gives people... X disease at some point they may get. Take that one out. That but if I'm thing. reading this correctly, and again, we're not chemists or scientists, there's a, there's a whole other level to it in addition to what you say. It can not only repair someone who's born without certain genes that are necessary to prevent certain diseases. It's a memory thing. The, if I, let's read this again. This is about improving the memory of our what what is our immune system basically it, it remembers how to fight it, it doesn't have to constantly learn mm -hmm. okay i mean the way of, and that's the way a vaccine works right a vaccine introduces the problem so the body can recognize it and learn how to fight it right okay? and in introducing it 
it actually creates the antibodies. So the right. very introduction starts that process. In the DNA, bacteria develop clustered repeated sequences known as CRISPRs that can remember and then destroy viruses that attack them. So it's not just about changing the structure of the DNA. It's about giving the immune system a better memory system for fighting off viruses, for example. CRISPR is now being used to treat sickle cell anemia, cancers, and blindness as we speak. Mm. And this year, Dr. Dudna and her research teams began exploring how CRISPR could detect and destroy the coronavirus. Quote, CRISPR evolved in bacteria because of their long-running war against viruses, Dr. Dudna told me. We humans don't have time to wait for our own cells to evolve natural resistance to this virus. We have to use our ingenuity to do that. Isn't it fitting that one of the tools is this ancient bacterial immune system? Nature is beautiful in that way. As we destroy nature around <laughs> us. Um, and then he, he mentions He Jiankui, the young Ch Chinese scientist who had been to some of Dr. Duna's gene editing conferences and shocked the world uh, by using CRISPR to produce the first, first designer babies. He edited human embryos to remove a gene that produces a receptor for HIV. There was an immediate outburst of awe and then shock. After more than three billion, this is Isaacson at his best putting this into context. After more than three billion years of evolution on life on this planet, one species, us, had developed the talent and temerity to grab control of its own genetic future. By the way, combine this with AI. We're already implanting computer chips in, in human brains. So between the computer chips and the gene editing, next 50 years should be a fun ride. Mm. There was a sense that we had crossed the threshold into a whole new age, a brave new world, as when Adam and Eve bit into the apple were... Prometheus snatched fire from the gods. Now, I know you like that phrase, but I have to say, when I read that, I thought, no, <laughs> because... You need some gene editing. Uh, you know, that story in Genesis, Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. I mean, really, I, I personally see that as a myth, and I see Prometheus <laughs> finding fire and... And teaching Hold mankind are you also saying myths are, a myth. Are you saying myths have no truth to them? Uh, I don't think they have a truth like two women scientists sitting down in a lab. Hold on. What are the, we've gone through this before. What are the three most effective ways that human beings learn? <laughs> do we have to do this every yeah. two weeks? <laughs> Storytelling games and what's the other Trial one? Trial and error. Trial and error. What was Thank the first you. one you ran over real quick? Storytelling. Stories. Yeah. Yes. Stories myths. are one of the most effective ways we learn. Now, how one interprets a story is different. The way we, the, the, the interpretation of that, the Adam and Eve story was horrendous to women, you know, for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, but let's ignore that. No, I didn't say ignore that. We need to get into the story a little deeper and figure out better interpretations. One of which is, since you're, how dare you insult Adam and Eve? Um, okay, I dare. is that, think about it. Okay, what was the state of Adam and Eve before the apple was eaten? Innocence. And? Innocence, right? 
that's the tale and innocence we were told. is a kind of a and then we of became knowledge. guilty by eating that that's that's the that's the story we were told right that by eating of the apple which you were told not to do you're supposed to be guilt ridden right right that's one interpretation what was the state right, Adam and Eve where they live before Garden of Eden okay. paradise and, and that was not a bad place to live was it it's a fairy tale Hold on, we're talking. About <laughs> oh, so your poems aren't dumb. Okay, so your poems are irrelevant because they're not tr- because no, they're I'm not, not saying those stories aren't relevant. They're they're interesting stories, and they tell us a lot about them ourselves humanly. But I think to throw it into the context with this scientific work is crucial it, because we need to inter- <laughs> hold on. What is the point that that even Dude is making? The woman is getting it. We have to think about the ethical and psychological social consequences of what this means. How do we figure out the ethical, psychological, and social consequences? By ignoring Adam and Eve. By, <laughs> by understanding the story of who we are. And um, so in other words, you only want the biologists and the physicists to figure out what these social, psychological, no. and philosophical issues should be. No, I just we don't think want the that it's a strange mixing. I think it's a strange mixing that he does there. It's a as if the, collaboration. He, he did it as if those things were real as opposed to stories. He did not. You don't think Walter Isaacson, who did a, the, the I best know biography very smart. of Einstein, I just didn't like doesn't his understand, understand the difference between literature and science? He does, but I think in a, in a kind of oh, MTV sort of way, he smashed them all together. you're a retired professor of what english literature english literature and so and you're decrying this man bringing in a literary reference to a science article he said it was in the same category as those. Those there are just myths. There was a sense myths. that we had crossed the threshold into a whole new age, perhaps a brave new world, as when Adam and Eve bit into the apple. Well, Prometheus but Adam and Eve didn't bite gut. into the apple. It's a. <laughs> he's the point is the story behind Adam and Eve and how we interpret it is crucial to how we how we've been treating the, the relationship between men and women. Etc. Okay. Right. The woman I, was blamed for it. So let me try another. <laughs> I'm going to let you have this point. <laughs> let me try this point. Why Adam and Eve is crucial to this. So. Okay. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. What did paradise represent? Everything was given to them. Correct. And they, the lion they, they, they lay were, down with want, the lamb. There was nothing there was no that they danger. Were, they were given everything they needed to survive and be comfortable. What is that an analogy to? Brave new world. And the womb. When we're in the womb, we are given everything we need. And And then we are born into the world. And at some point we realize, wait a minute, we're not getting everything that we need. So when Eve bit into the apple, she was saying, it's time for us to leave the womb and face the world. Well, she didn't know she was saying that. She thought she was just getting something great because uh, I'm Satan you had tempted her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I can't believe I'm talking to a poet. Just as an aside, I think that artists have misunderstood everything about Adam and Eve throughout history because they always paint them with belly buttons. Good point. And why would Adam and Eve have a belly button? Right. Excellent point. That's because it's <laughs> false. It's a false story, Ron. I hate to tell you. Oh, damn. <laughs> and are your poems true or false? They're not true in the way that DNA is true. But there are underlying <laughs> truths 
that are that are that are yes, more, we're we're that, emotional. That go beyond science, right? We're emotional creatures. We need stories. We learn by stories. I just was like, really, I'd rather have had him throw it in with Columbus uh, circumnavigating the globe or something. I would have rather had he him never throw it. Navigated no. the globe. Well, he tried to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Liked a actual human achievement, the building of the pyramids, uh, Machu Picchu, something that human beings did that surprises us, Stonehenge. How do they get those big rocks up there? I would have liked that better than to go into the mythic world. So we talk about collaboration. You want there to be a dividing line between <laughs> science collaborating and philosophers and artists and literary folks they should never collaborate they should we should have a wall between them and make sure they never talk to each other okay We'd that's be much better that's off. not true that that's not my thing it's just in this instance in this article it threw me out of the article okay let's continue <laughs> um crisper raises some tough moral questions so does adam and eve so does Prometheus stealing fire. Um, should Boy, we edit our species? <laughs> should we should we edit our species to make us less susceptible to deadly viruses? In the midst of this coronavirus plague, most of us probably think that'd be a wonderful boon, right? Should we eliminate disorders such as Huntington's sickle cell anemia and cystic fibrosis, which currently we're doing? Um, that sounds good too. Um, what about congenital deafness or blindness or being short or being depressed hmm how, how should we think ugly. about that <laughs> a few decades from now if it becomes possible and safe should we allow parents to enhance the iq and physical strength of their kids should we let them decide eye color skin color height see that's the truly scary part so you want just the scientists discussing this no I I I I think actually we're we're doomed. Uh, if, it's, <laughs> if it's possible to do, <laughs> that's my conclusion. We are doomed because I know human beings. I do know human beings from being a literature teacher. I know human beings, and uh, it, it will be bound to both be beneficial to us and destructive because yeah. people are not going to be able to resist. Uh, trying to make their children smarter, taller, prettier. Uh, if we're capable of doing it, we'll do it. Yep. And and even if it's against the law, th then it'll be a, the black market. Mm -hmm. it, it's, <clears throat> you know, and, and I suddenly I got this image of, you know, do you remember futuristic stories, if you had them in comic books or something, the people all looked the same in the future. Everybody was sort of tall and big-shouldered because it was like there was this group aesthetic and since they could change themselves they all became six foot two with big shoulders and and the women were all gorgeous they all looked like texas uh, cheerleaders uh, and that, that's, that's i not think my idea of gorgeous but, th so, but, that, but so what is the downside <clears throat> of making everybody sort of the same well, same intelligence beauty etc that well, hold boring. on whoa, whoa, whoa. first of all we just skipped <laughs> over something here no one said that by editing genes everyone's going to be the same um, I mean, no, but I think that that could not happen. Not everybody's going to choose the same eye color. Not everybody's going to choose the same IQ. Not everybody's going to choose gonna the same body It's going to get closer. Type. It's like we're now dominated, say, in, in the film industry by the world market. 
So we have many more films of people running around and not talking much and driving fast cars and jumping off roofs because that plays to the international market. So there's been a kind of homogenization of the aesthetic of films. Uh, There's been a kind of homogenization of the kinds of shows you have on TV, uh, the kinds of music in a certain era. So So they'll do that with people. You're 100% correct. And let's go back to nature's intelligence, which is much more powerful than ours. Uh, as we all know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So to the very point you're making, which is the homogenization which tends to happen with technology, there's always a backlash. We had Myra Blaustein on here a few weeks ago, who every year puts on the Woodstock Film Festival, which is not the only one of its kind, that celebrates independent films. Right. Does one have to maybe look a little harder for them? Yeah, but they're available. So the We're point so is, weird the point here, is that those who those who don't appreciate homogenization or are bored by it are going to have. We have more alternatives now. When we were growing up, what were our choices in media? A few networks and a few local uh, television stations and some local radio stations. We. We can find we can listen to any radio station in the world through our computers. We can through Netflix and other places see all kinds of independent things we couldn't have seen forty years ago. So at the same time, you're right. We should be aware of this homogenization uh, of uh, uh, making vanilla the flavor of everything. There's there's an equal and opposite reaction to it, and now we have the technology to access some. I mean. There's some of the most amazing TV is being look at the Sopranos even. That was rare. That was a masterwork, but, but that was not what, as 20 rare. or it's 25 mother, years ago. But those ser- those types of series are much more prevalent now. Uh-uh. Absolutely. <laughs> that telling, type, but not that. You're telling quality. me that in 2020 you don't have more access to uh, idiosyncratic independent media than you had 15 years ago? Have you tried to find Entertainment on television, not documentaries, which are great, and I'm glad they're out there, but entertainment, yeah. it's not at the level that it was at at the 80s and 90s. Oh, it's, it's not high. the writing, the acting. Are you kidding? No, you... the technology <clears throat> is higher. No. They all look good now, the but they're crappy scripts. The acting is better. <laughs> You're talking. That's ridiculous. There's, there's, there's. It depends what you like, but you have access to so much more media now than you ever had before. Okay. Much more content. It access makes it to a, a lot of not very good stuff. Well, and access, access to a, a to more a, good stuff than ever before. Yeah. I mean, before you were limited to what your <laughs> options were. So you liked what was there because that was all that you That's had. That's not necessarily <clears throat> true. I, I mean, actually, make, uh, I think we went through an age of great television and we've passed it. And oh, I think come that on. Oh, the good old a lot days. of the stuff. Uh, no, it's not the good old days. It's an aesthetic like judgment. There is nothing like The Sopranos on now. The Munsters and Blacklist. The, Blacklist Fabulous. is sometimes very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. And it's very rare. You try and find stuff on Netflix and Prime. But it, you're saying rare. Rare compared to what? It's, it's not as rare as it was in the 80s. It was much rarer back then to find that kind of quality because right now, we just talked about this in your article, Netflix basically is more powerful than Hollywood. You have... Top actors doing more TV and independent because the the money's there to pay them. Um, so at any rate, let's take our break <laughs> because 
Otherwise, we're going to argue for the next two hours. And we have guests we're going to accommodate. So we'll be right back. Any day or night time, it's always the right time. It's always the right time to do the wrong thing. Segment two, Doug Grunt, your host with our two wonderful co-hosts. She is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate. So that means we get a poem later from Victoria Sullivan. Mm-hmm. He is on-air weekend warrior here playing great music for us, Ron Van Warmer. And uh, we're talking about a recent Nobel Prize given out to two women. We have a lot more women scientists now than ever before. And uh, these two women are getting it because they discovered CRISPR, a way of editing the human genome. And uh, this is creating all sorts of marvels and potential disasters, as we're discussing. Um, Now, what CRISPR actually stands for, and hold on to your seat, Victoria, because we're going to have to get into literature here. (laughs) It stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, (laughs) which is a fancy way of saying that they discovered a way that bacteria defend themselves against viruses. Now, I don't understand the chemistry, but when I saw the word palindromic, I got interested because palindromes are one of the most fascinating and fun elements of the English language. So again, what is a palindrome? You can read it in one direction, the usual direction, and then it's the same from the opposite direction. So if it's a six-letter word, um, you can read it from either direction. Dick Cavett was very good at that. He used to be able to do that on the fly. Yeah, I've never put my mind into it that much, so (laughs) I I probably miss a lot of palindromes. I'm sure we all do. That are just floating around. But uh, an interesting thing about these women that this scientist I spoke with, I, I said, well, what, what's, you know, what's really going down here, man? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. what, what should I take note of? And he said, one of the interesting things was that they got the Nobel Prize much sooner than scientists usually get it. Usually scientists discover something 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, hmm. they get the Nobel in the sciences because it's been proven over right. time. This work, they were starting to work on this around 2012, 2013. They were making the breakthroughs. So the Nobel got on it much faster, which maybe tells us something about the speeding up of everything, uh-huh. you know, from AI, et cetera, that we we respond to things more quickly. It was recognized the significance and they gave them to them. I don't know how old these women are, but they're not old ladies. No. You know, they, uh, so... That that in itself is a little bit interesting of the speeding up of the culture. Yeah, that even to because by giving them the Nobel Prize, this really puts this information out there, even in a bigger way in the scientific community. Well, the history actually goes back further. Um, I did some extra research here. Molecular biologists had noticed the presence of mysterious sequences that we now know that are now known as these clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats in our in our genes. Back in the late 1980s, 
but hadn't been able to figure out what purpose they served. When Duna first started studying these sequences in the mid-2000s, it seemed highly unlikely the work could lead to patents that could be worth billions. But then again, when Steve Jobs was tinkering around his garage with Wozniak back in the 70s, we didn't know that within 30 years they'd own the, one, of, one of the three you know, biggest, most valuable companies in the world. So are there patents related to this that these there two will women be. have? There, there will be. They're will fighting be. that out now because that's what we do when it comes to money. Mm. Um, rather than collaborate, we compete. Yeah. But um, They also might give it to a university or something. That's what a lot of the people that do a lot of work in universities do. They get a sort of situation where the university will fund you forever because you've given them these yeah, it's, patents. You know, the, the idea is open right. source, and, and already they've put this out there so others can start playing with it. Right. And as we talked about, you know, the, the, the gentleman who literally invented the World Wide Web um, at CERN in 19, around 1992 knew he could be a trillionaire if he just copyrighted it, but he didn't. He said this should be open sourced. So occasionally humans get it right. Yeah, I think in the top levels of science, well, in the Western world, you know, who knows what's going on behind the curtains of China. But mm. in the Western world, there has been this sort of sense that when you're making these major breakthroughs. Now, the drug companies don't feel that way. No, <laughs> no. not at all. And, and a lot of businesses don't feel that way. But there is in the scientific community a sense that we're trying to create something that's useful for all people. Now – so let's talk about it's not it's, it's it sounds like science fiction but it's science. So now we're going to have the ability we all agree I think that it's great that we can edit out a gene of a newborn baby so that they don't get down syndrome or they don't get cystic fibrosis or they don't get you know all sorts of horrible diseases. Um we're all for that. But the same technology can be used to raise one's IQ, change one's eye color, skin color, how tall one will be. What gets interesting is, does that alone guarantee you're going to get what you're seeking? In other words, okay, if you can genetically create brown eyes, you'll get brown eyes. No big deal. Mm-hmm. But if you make somebody taller, will they actually be able to take advantage of that? Or could it be end up being a disadvantage depending upon other facets that, might, that, that are unknown? In other words, as we grow, they might be able to predict this person is going to be six foot seven by the time they're 21. But are they going to be able to predict that that person person's body will be able to handle that height as effectively given other things that they couldn't have figured out or are they going to make their child six foot two because they think that's so cool but their child really wants to be an acrobat and it would be better if he was five seven <laughs> too late <laughs> He's six i mean two. well yeah yeah i mean it gets to some i mean it doesn't designer babies i mean what are we designing here i mean even our best designed inventions have unseen consequences and repercussions well if it's true for a mechanical invention just because it's great that we can program out a horrible disease right but to think that just because we can program in intelligence and height and strength is going to guarantee 
the res- the design that we want from from our kids. It's well, not going to happen because we all feel that we have some say on this. I'm sure that what will happen is that it will become legislated what you can and can't do with gene mm-hmm. manipulation, which won't stop people from doing so it anyway. You can. Uh, if someone is going to grow to be four foot two, and you know that that's a difficult uh, height in in our world, and you can make them five foot six, uh, that seems like a good thing. If you're just trying to make a basketball team, that might not be as as positive a a, a motive. But to help somebody, you know, if if you know someone's going to be deaf, and you can fix it. Well, I think that's the, the, you know, that's the good side is to, to take the obviously extreme issues or, you know, cystic fibrosis, which is right. just ghastly, um, you know, to be able to get rid of that. But it really is going to start to shade into what does everyone want in their child? And that's why there will <laughs> you know? be that's And almost why there everybody wants their child to be attractive and successful, and therefore they're going to dicker to get that. Yeah. With the codes. I mean, what's interesting about DNA is that DNA is a code. So you have to go in and change the code. Um, but what we don't know yet is, as I say, the permutations. In other words, there's in, in quantum physics, the most successful scientific theory of all time, there's an uncertainty principle. Um, and uh, there are unforeseen, as I say, unforeseen consequences mm. in just about everything we do. So... That's that's where we could go off the rails, thinking that we're designing something for a certain purpose, and then we don't realize the unforeseen consequences until too late. But we're not going to stop it. Let's face it, whether they legislate it or not, and they will legislate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they the the the, the 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 powerful figure out ways to get around it. Yeah, that's how. That's do. why we had a two thousand eight financial collapse because. Suddenly, good good regulations against banks going in and making all kinds of crazy investments with depositors' money w- was now allowed. Right, mm. it was legalized. It was legislated in, and the, because the the greedy people who wanted it know how to pay off the right Congress people. So legislation will be a help, but it won't be a, a, a total solution. Right, and it'll, and there will be misguided. Uh, legislation, as in uh, a woman's right to choose, we can take that right away from some people. But if you have enough money, mm-hmm. it really, you don't lose that right. Well, the other possibility is you have an authoritarian sort of oligarchy culture. And so the people that are in charge decide, well, we want a whole bunch of really attractive people and a whole bunch of really intelligent people, but we also want a whole bunch of sort of ordinary people. And we'd actually like a class of sort of drone people mm. because we, we still need people to do some of the physical tasks, even though we've taken over most Except of them. most of those drone physical tasks will be done through AI. They'll right, be, they'll most be done of them. But, robotically. but there'll still be things where the robot can't, you know, get down on the ground and get the little dirt out of the corner or something or whatever. There will there will be probably some tasks. They, they will want an underclass for the purposes of doing the things that the not overclass able, doesn't wish to do. And the way they'll handle that is the, the folks who don't have money won't be able to design their babies. Right. Or they'll be designed, but they'll be designed and kept to that design that no, keeps no, them no, not. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not going to tell – it's, it's simple economics. Um, you know – uh, I mean, I'm not, what you're saying could happen. 
Uh, I don't see that happening in a democracy. Mine is but, dystopian, but I mean, right. really, a democracy. Who has a democracy? I think we mm-hmm. do. Well, quasi. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, but the, you know, the, the, the ramifications are absolutely extraordinary. And this is not something 50 years away. This is something being done now. And things are happening faster and faster. And while we are understandably obsessed with the coronavirus and the presidential election. The fact is that this interconnection of human intelligence, computer intelligence, and nature's intelligence, which this CRISPR is such a perfect example of the three coming together, okay? We wouldn't have CRISPR without human intelligence. We wouldn't have CRISPR without the computer, the ability of computers to help discover things, and we wouldn't have it without nature's intelligence, which is who we learned it from. Right. And so, at the same time that for the first time in human history, billions of us are connected. We can talk to, we can, we can inform each other, pass along information to each other, open channels to each other, uh, which creates both good things and bad. It creates ridiculous amounts of fake news, information overload but if we develop the skills to cut through that we have access to the best information in the world the wisest the greatest wisdom that's ever been produced is up there it's out there the question is will we learn to collaborate or we continue thinking that that we're going to compete our way to success or will we go to northern michigan and form little units that want to um kidnap the governor (laughs) <laughs> well that's collaborative sure those um what are the 13 idiots uh-huh. <laughs> by my lights you know testosterone run amok um have you looked at pictures of them it's not just testosterone yeah. they all kind of look alike well they're obviously not dna enhanced <laughs> <laughs> or brain enhanced okay but yeah. dna enhanced people of course uh, re- probably wreaked just more havoc than those who weren't yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of very intelligent people have done a lot of damage. Um, so what this is, what, so what are we talking about here? We're facing why we need philosophers and psychologists and artists <laughs> because we have to figure out what values are most important. Can we collaborate? In other words, here we have a coronavirus, right? Became a global story. Uh, there was a global panic as well as a global marshalling of defenses. But right away, we went into competition mode, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to the solution, well, it's not the solution, but a solution, which is a vaccine, we're competing for vaccines instead of collaborating. We had the ability to create a global entity to say, "Let's let's get the wisest and smartest scientists from different countries together to produce a vaccine for everybody. We still haven't figured out how to even think that way. Yeah. And somebody's going to make a lot of money from it. You bet. A lot of people are going to make a lot of money from Whether it. Whether it's successful or not. Right. 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 They're going to so, sell a few million before. Oh, that one didn't work. Yeah, okay. Man. Well, you guys throw that kid away. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these, these are questions. Be a good idea to start thinking about. Um, because the changes are going to happen with us or without us. 
And um, I mean, just look at the shift that would have taken place anyway, but it's been accelerated by the virus, the shift in virtual reality and virtual connection. Um, do you really think that New York City, which so counted on commuters coming to offices, millions of them every day, right? You think that's coming back real quick? Why would a corporation spend tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to lease office space mm -hmm. when they realize now they can be just, if not more effective, with people doing most of the work from their own homes? Mm -hmm. And maybe you rent you rent a space so that once a month people get together in person right. and collaborate, which is still going to be important. But it's not every day. How is that changing the economic reality of New York City and, and other major cities? It's huge. Oh, yeah. And it happened quickly. It, overnight, practically. So these ramifications are going to take years to untangle and figure out. And it took a virus to do it. And... I get in trouble when I say it. I don't care. <laughs> uh oh, it <laughs> is it a dead. It is a deadly virus. It's killed over two hundred thousand Americans, over a million people worldwide. That's serious. But imagine if this was a virus that killed or seriously got sick three percent of the people that got it instead of point oh five percent or whatever mm -hmm. it is. I mean, the fact of the matter is that as devastating as this virus is. We know who it's killing, and it's not healthy people. So imagine if the next virus comes and actually can seriously sicken and hospitalize people whose immune systems were healthy before they got it. Mm -hmm. So if we panicked over this one. Wait till the next. Wait till the next. And um, so, yeah, we're going to have to figure things out because, you know, we're 7 billion strong. Planet can't handle that. Uh, it can't handle all of the industrial waste that we're pouring into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, let me, I'm, I'm misspeaking. It can handle it. Nature can handle it. It just won't be handled in a way that's good for gonna us. allow right. us to survive. It's giving right. us big storms yeah. and fires. No, we're, yeah. no the, the earth ain't going away. And either is life, but we may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We may be. Anyway, let's get to Patrick, uh, and then we'll take our first I think break. He's here. Are you there, Patrick? The planet will survive, dude. As your brother told us many times. Well, it's just a fact. You know, I'm loving this whole scene. I wrote this morning before you came on the air. I said, I always learn something on the on the Woodst uh, Woodstock Roundtable, man. And I, uh, I do, Doug, and this is this science trip, you know, that's a great trip. But, you know, I, I don't know. People don't pay attention to life. Uh, when I got sprung from boarding school after sixth grade, I went to regular parochial school, and we had girls. It wasn't just all guys. And uh, I immediately, um, I had known them from a little bit from, you know, first grade we had them, too. And they're smarter than guys. They work harder than guys. They care more than guys. Oh, wrong. They knew I wasn't competing with them. I was just trying to keep from staying in until it was sundown uh, after school. And uh, why would anyone think that when they grow up, they'd suddenly become inferior? You know, so I just accept what is. I know what I'm up to. And all these perfect people they make, you know, make them taller, make them uh, 
better IQs. Let me tell you, your big IQ ain't going to put you hip to the jive. They can set you up where you look perfect with them blue eyes and that blonde hair and the full scene. And uh, the IQ might be a 180 or some heavy-duty trip. But, uh, you know, there you go, seeing how the three-card Monty is going on your way to work. So uh, being hip to the jive, I don't think they'll ever find out how to do that. And when you can order people, you know, uh, order up a big like, you know, but that takes all the fun out of living. That takes all the fun out of living, man. The fun of living is making do with what you got, playing with the hand you're dealt with, man. Uh, there's a lot of people with highly, highly handicapped children and all that would never change that for a moment from the life that they have set up and that works around uh, that family member. And uh, family tripping is a heavy scene. Uh, they used to have dementia and stuff like that. Uh, and you, you had an Aunt Rose. Or, so was it, But they were with the family and stuff. They didn't have to go anywhere. And uh, sometimes that happens, and then you got to just roll with the punches. But... Uh, I, I, I say they're going to do it. They're going to do it, man, and it's going to be legit, and there's going to be all this legislation and crap Reno, and there's going to be hustlers who will do it uptown. You know, get off at 125th Street, Jack, and walk west. When you get down by the river, you're opposite the 712. Walk behind the meat place and ask for Big Jim. There you go. And you walk out with a brand-new kid that's a potential basketball player. <laughs> if that's where your stupid head is at. You know, I, I love it. I'm only, I'm only on this planet for the ride, man, and to enjoy the show and to try to do anything I can in my own way. This thing I'm putting together, it's an idea that I ain't going to talk about, but it's to help old people and to jog their brains and stuff like this. And uh, to help, you know, you put the headset on some of these people in the old homes and they're hearing that music and their faces light up, you know. So who gives a damn if they're thinking about 1943 and they're in the school gym and they're trying to give Mary Jane a good rub to a slow song? Uh, that's a wonderful memory. <laughs> you know, what's the matter with that? Well, Patrick, and, uh, we always appreciate let him do it. Let it all filter down. We always appreciate a little injection of Patrick Carlin and uh, always appreciate your take. Give our best at your home, and you oh, deserve yeah. the best. The planet and, uh, will survive. Oh, yeah. Don't sweat the planet, baby. <laughs> That's not the one who needs oxygen. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we need you. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Stay Have a cool. good one, Patrick. Let's take our second break. We'll be back with the second half of the Woodstock Roundtable. <laughs> Loving you isn't the right